Amen. Hey, everyone. My name is John. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Peace Church. I'm going to continue walking us through the story of Good Friday. We're going to start on Thursday night and make our way up to where we're at here on Good Friday. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 26 and read what Jesus is doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just had dinner, supper, Passover meal with his disciples. And then they've gotten up and they've gone out to the garden to pray. And it says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And Jesus rises up from praying to his Father these three times that this cup, the cup of God's wrath, would pass from him, and yet he knows his Father's will. And so he rises, he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's confronted by soldiers. He's arrested. He's taken away to a bunch of phony trials in the middle of the night. False witnesses come, bear false witness against him. He's mocked. He's spit on. He's beaten. He's hauled throughout the night from official to official looking for somebody who would just give the sentence of death unfairly to this innocent man. Till finally we come to Friday morning when Jesus is brought to Pilate, the governor, and Pilate, who has the power to free this innocent man, instead chooses to listen to the voice of the crowd for fear of losing his power. And he condemns Jesus to death. As they cry out, crucify him, Pilate signs the order. And Jesus is hauled off to be crucified. He's flogged. He's beaten. He's tortured. And then he rises on the cross into the air where he hangs. And we pick up the story here in Matthew 27 and verse 45. And this is where we'll focus for tonight. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. 
And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. Let's pray and then we're going to reflect on this passage. Father God, we are amazed as we stand in this holy story, this culmination, this center of all of human history where your son hangs on the cross. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that we would hear your word, hear this story, and see Jesus and see all that happens here. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, a broken instrument to bring your word to your people, that we all might look to Jesus and worship him tonight. Pray this all in his powerful and precious name. Amen. This week at Peace Church, uh, our theme for Holy Week has been rise, which makes a ton of sense uh, on days like Palm Sunday, right? This last Sunday. The day that we see Jesus uh, come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people are waving palm branches and shouting his name and Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the king, the son of David, right? It makes a ton of sense on Palm Sunday last Sunday. It makes a ton of sense next Sunday, spoiler alert, when Jesus rises. And yet today on Good Friday, it seems strange, doesn't it? The strangeness of Good Friday was uh, first made real to me back in high school. I remember, uh, I remember uh, going to a class one day and, and sitting down at a desk. And, you know, in high school, you, you go to one classroom and you sit at a desk and then you get up and you go to a different classroom and sit at that desk. And, and obviously somebody the hour before you was sitting in that desk also. And I remember sitting down at this desk and uh, I remember seeing written across the top of the desk, somebody had written in pencil and said some pretty nasty things, some, some profane things. I remember just had this idea. I thought I'd erase that. I thought I'd write John 3.16 on the top of the desk instead. And all you school teachers are like, don't you do that. Don't you write on that desk. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I apologize, teachers. Kids, school-age kids, evangelism by writing on desks. It's got, a, it's got a good heart, but probably not the best idea. Just follow the principles, not the, not the precise details of the story. So I write John 3.16 on the, on the top of the desk, right? And I walk away and, and class ends and, and I go home and I come back and it's the next day and I come into class and I see that my message, this verse, has been erased from the top of the desk. And another thing has been written that says, what does that mean? I thought, okay, well, that's really interesting. I appreciate the engagement. And so I, I erase his message and I write, I write another message. And I thought I'd get simpler this time and I simply write, Jesus died for your sins. I thought that was the simplest message I could put. I go home and I come back. I get to that class, there's a new message written across the front of the desk for me. I'm glad he's dead. I remember reading that and being shocked on several levels. You know, there's the sadness of what's said, but there's also the idea that this person apparently doesn't know the rest of the story. It's a strange thing that we celebrate on Good Friday. We come together to commemorate, to sing about the day that God died. It's a strange thing that we celebrate. 
today, this Good Friday. What we're going to do tonight is walk through this passage that I just read that has God's Son hanging on a cross. We're going to walk right through it and we're going to see five miracles that happen while Jesus is hanging on the cross. We're going to move through them quickly for the sake of time, but five miracles that I see in this passage, we're going to walk through just one at a time. Let's, uh, let's start with the first one at the very beginning of this passage. Verse 45, it says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The first miracle we hear about is, is this darkness. Uh, uh, the, the sixth hour to the ninth hour, uh, to translate it into our time, that's noon until 3 p.m., all right, this is, this is high noon when the sun's like at the highest point in the sky, right? This is, this is a bright time of the day. This is when it's not supposed to be dark, and all of a sudden it's dark. We know that this is not an eclipse because Passover takes uh, place at a time when it's a full moon, follows the lunar calendar. There's no way this is an eclipse. This is a supernatural act of God that brings darkness over all the land. And you and I know, right, from the movies and stuff, darkness is a, is a bad symbol. It's a bad omen. It's a bad sign usually happens before the end, before something bad happens. In this story, it's also a big gap in the, in the narrative. Right? We just walked through the story all the way from Thursday night until this point on Friday. Right? The Bible gives us an account of every minute or every hour of the whole story from the time that Jesus has supper until he's carried all through the night in these trials and he's beaten and he's flogged. But then here... We come to a single verse that gives us no details about a three-hour span of time. What in the world happens here? We can get some clues from other parts of the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament has prophecies that speak about the end of all things, that speak about the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes, it says it will come with great darkness. I think of the plagues in Egypt. Do you remember the, the second to the last plague? The second to the last plague is darkness falls over all the land of Egypt right before the sun, the firstborn son, is killed. We get another clue right in the text itself. Verse 46 says this, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself tells us what's going on during these three hours. He's forsaken by his father. In the garden, we heard him pray, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. What cup is he talking about? He's talking about the cup of God's wrath from the Old Testament. God's wrath, just wrath against all of the sin of mankind. Jesus experiences the outer darkness that he talks about in chapter 8, 22, and 25 of Matthew where he says, all those who don't walk with me will be cast into the outer darkness where there will be gnashing of teeth, there will be weeping, there will be everlasting fire. Jesus himself experiences in these three hours under the cover of darkness, hell. Jesus is separated from God and bears the wrath of God against all of the sin of the world. Have you ever seen a, a kid with their parents there's no fear in a child who's with mom and dad, right? As long as mom and dad are around, nothing bad can happen right there with them. You ever seen a child who's maybe in a store and mom and dad get around the, the next aisle, right, and they lose sight and it's, uh, you know, panic and terror, right, in the kid's eyes? Or I think of uh, with my little kids when I, when I toss them way up in there, you know, they're this tall, but you can toss them five, six feet in the air and no fear as long as they can see daddy's eyes, right? As long as they can see me and my hands out, there's no fear. 
But what happens when the father's arms are withdrawn? What happens when Jesus can no longer see his father's face? When his father is gone, separated. When Jesus is left to fall into the black abyss that is the justice and wrath of God against all the sins of the world. This is the darkest moment in all of human history. The second miracle that we read about in the passage is the result of the first. Verse 51 says this, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook. If you remember from the Old Testament, the temple system has this uh, ironic dual function of, on the one hand, it's supposed to bring people closer to God. On the other hand, it's supposed to keep people away from God. The temple is the place where God dwells and people can come in and they can worship. But it also has these layers to it. It's got the inner layer, the most holy layer, where there's a curtain separating the people from God. It's got other layers and other curtains within it. And in order to get inside, you've got to have a priest and you've got to have sacrifices. There's got to be blood. There's got to be death. There's got to be ritual. The temple both brings people sort of close to God, and yet at the same time, it sends a clear message that you can only get so close and no further. To the Israelites of the Old Testament, this was the message reinforced day after day as sacrifices were made, as priests went in and out of the temple, showing that we are separated from God because of our sin. I remember... uh, a time when I met uh, a sort of famous person in my life kind of gave me a sense of what that fear is like to be sort of near but sort of separated from somebody I'm afraid of. Maybe you've met one of your heroes. Maybe you've met a famous person and had kind of those jitters. I remember when I was in seminary, I remember uh, uh, a famous, uh, famous is a relative word, right? I mean, I was a Bible college student. So, uh, you know, a, a Bible professor was in town who had done some, uh, he worked on the NIV translation of the Bible and stuff, and his, his name was Doug Moo, and Loved me some moo. And, uh, and uh, so I went to the lecture, and there was about 200 people in the room. And uh, after the lecture was over, I decided to go up and get in line to, to shake his hand and just be able to say, hey, I met this guy. I shook his hand. That was cool. And uh, waiting in line and get a little closer. And I remember getting uh, about five people away uh, to where I could kind of hear the conversation at the front. And I remember realizing uh, these people aren't just like saying hi and shaking his hand. These people are like asking questions like deep intellectual questions. I remember thinking to myself, shoot, I don't have a question. I'm not going to sound very smart. And this is, this is the guy. I finally got up there and I remember, I don't remember exactly what I asked him, but I asked him some kind of like yes or no question. I was like, I was like do, you, do you think in the Bible, do you think it's this or that? And he was like, it's this. And I said, thank you. And I walked away. Uh, <laughs> but that sense, that fear, that sense of separateness, like, this person is, is different and other. I can only get so close. That sense was reinforced at a much greater level every single day by the temple system. But the book of Hebrews tells us the meaning of what happens when this curtain is torn from top to bottom. Top to bottom because it can't be torn. It wasn't torn by man. It was torn by supernatural forces. The book of Hebrews says this in verse 19. Brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain. Further on it says this, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Because the curtain was torn, you and I are not here tonight to uh, gather around an altar and sacrifice an animal, blood and death, and try to get to God by the death of another thing. You and I are here tonight, and you don't, you don't call me or the other pastors priests. You call us pastors, right? Because we get to come into this place tonight, and we get to sing and pray and be with God without the intervention of the death of an animal, without the intervention of the high priest who only gets to go once a year behind the curtain into the most holy place, into God's presence. The curtain has been torn, and you and I get to come in tonight and actually be with God because of what Jesus has done. The once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus makes it so we can now come freely by faith in Christ into God's presence. This is the second miracle that happens while Jesus is on the cross. The third and fourth I'm going to walk through a little bit more quickly. Uh, one, for the sake of time, but two, because we don't know a ton about what's going on in these passages. Here, look with me at uh, verses 51 and 52. It says, The earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. The ground shakes, right? This is a ground-shaking event. The whole earth, the very dirt, knows that this is a big deal. Something important is happening. Uh, and, then, and then the tombs open, right? And, and, and people who were dead uh, come out. And we don't, we don't know if they, they stayed alive and got swept up into, into the clouds afterwards or if they, they died a second time and, and, went, and went back into the grave. We don't know exactly what happens to them. But this is a, this is a little taste, right, of what the resurrection is like. We get these two signs, and then the fifth and final miracle comes in verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. The fifth and final miracle is the changing of a human heart. This centurion and his buddies, these are the guys who took the nail, took the hammer, and put Jesus on the cross. These are the guys who founded a sport, right, to see how much pain they could put into the people who were going up on the cross. These are professional torturers, professional killers. And yet when they see Jesus on the cross and they see what happens, a miracle happens. The scales fall from their eyes and they finally see who it is that hangs on this cross. Truly, this was the Son of God. The miracle that happens is a miracle in the human heart, the same miracle that has happened for those of us in the room tonight who have put our faith in Jesus. The centurion gives us an example for all of us to follow Say so when we see Jesus, who lived a life of perfection, who did not deserve to die, and yet went to the cross to take our sin and to bear it, to suffer and to die on the cross, we're called to follow the example of the centurion, to see him, 
and to put our faith in him as the one way to get to God through the curtain, through the temple, and to be with God now and forevermore. And he invites us tonight to respond with faith and with worship. Would you please stand and pray with me? Father God, we thank you for Jesus who suffered on the cross, who tore the curtain, and who brought us to you. God, we bring our hearts to you in worship tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.